Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Viral, a podcast series looking at the spread of COVID-19 as it continues to affect Ireland and the international world in a growing capacity. Today on the podcast, we look at the divisive issue of face masks and their role in creating a COVID-free island. If people are not responsible and staying at home when they're ill, or if they're just in the process of becoming ill with COVID, then it's a decent thing to do to wear a mask to protect the person who's serving you. I was saying to a colleague the other day, if they're going to open restaurants in France and have people indoors, then the diners ought to be wearing masks to protect the waiters. And my friend said, no way that will ever happen. But I said, from a logical point of view of being responsible, it's the people who serve us that we need to protect. That was Dr. David Nabarro, Special Envoy for the WHO on COVID-19, speaking at today's meeting of the Oireachta Special Committee on COVID-19. Since the beginning of the coronavirus outbreak globally, the effectiveness of face masks and face coverings has been a cause for widespread debate here in Ireland and internationally. In comparison to other European countries, Ireland has yet to make face coverings mandatory in enclosed spaces such as supermarkets or on public transport. On this podcast, I speak with Professor Anthony Staines of DCU on why he feels face masks are the key to getting Ireland to a zero-case scenario and how the country can capitalise on a COVID-free environment once it happens. I also speak to Dr. Richard Stutt of Cambridge University about a recent study in which he co-led, which identifies that homemade masks can dramatically reduce transmission rates if enough people wear them in public, and we discuss who exactly benefits from them being worn. First though, here is my chat with Professor Anthony Staines. To start off, I kind of wanted to speak about the issue of face masks. To kind of question why do you feel they've been so divisive during this pandemic? I think there's been a great deal of confusion about face masks and what they're for. And the evidence wasn't that clear, even in February. Now, what's happened since then is the evidence has been pulled together and looked at properly. And some new evidence has been brought to light. And what looks now to be fairly certain is this. Face masks don't protect you against being infected, or at least not very much, but they do protect you against infecting other people. And that's a very clear message that most countries have got. And it's a message that most countries are now giving to their populations. And we're moving slowly towards that. There's a lot of confusion about what we mean when we say face masks. We don't mean the kind of respirators that people use working with infected patients in intensive care or the industrial respirators that people use in places of hazardous chemicals. We mean something that goes in front of your nose and your mouth 
and stops you sneezing droplets over other people. That's all that we mean. The paper masks you can buy are perfectly fine. Very simple cloth masks are fine. Um, there's a lot of stuff on the net that shows you how to make your own at various levels of sophistication. But the common message in all of them is that they all they work. And a very high quality cloth face mask will work better than a folded over T-shirt. But a folded over T-shirt is an awful lot better than nothing. And at the moment, we're witnessing very strong recommendations from government to, I suppose, wear face coverings or face masks specifically when social distancing isn't possible. So things like shopping mm. centres, enclosed spaces such as that. Or public transport. Or public transport as well. Is that enough or should this be brought into legislation? And is that possible? It is possible. But the snag is that not not everyone can tolerate wearing a face mask. Most people, there's no problem, but some people, there is a problem. And my experience with our population is that they don't respond terribly well to being given orders, but they do respond well to, you know, this is what we think you should do, and, and this is why we think you should do it. And that message hasn't got out. I I was in uh, one of the Dublin hospitals this morning having a blood test taken. I was wearing a mask and the people taking blood samples were wearing masks, but most people were not. So the, the message is not getting out. It has not been sufficiently clear. We, we don't, for example, see uh, politicians with the Doyle wearing masks, which we probably should, because it would certainly send it would send the right message. It would send the right signal to everybody that this is this is the new normal. There's a piece published today um, from Hong Kong, and it's a detailed analysis of how Hong Kong dealt with COVID-19 and dealt with it very successfully, uh, more much successfully than we have done, although other, we have done better than other places. And wearing masks was a significant part of their strategy. Testing and tracing was a significant part. Quarantining to stop people traveling into Hong Kong. Hong Kong has a land border with China. So there was a very large risk of transmission from travelers. All of these were parts of their success in bringing coronavirus down almost to zero. So we we have done relatively well, but we need another push to bring this virus down to zero. And I think part of that push is masks. And to be honest, part of that push is a decision from the government that this is what they want to do. They actually want to bring this down to zero. And that, that, that is the objective of our current prevention strategies. And the rush to move into phase three I feel, then, doesn't reflect that. Well, we're taking a risk. People are arguing that there hasn't been a second wave anywhere. In fact, there have been second waves in a number of US states for a start. And there are also second waves in a number of smaller countries. We don't know what's going to happen here. These things are hard to predict. But there is a substantial risk if we move too quickly that we will find ourselves back where we started in maybe a month's time or two months' time. And that will be very bad for everybody, including the people who would die. So what we're saying to our government, what we're saying to IBEC, what we're saying to the economists who are discussing this topic is that 
the costs of bringing the virus down to zero are quite modest. The costs of allowing a second wave, or indeed the costs of allowing the virus to continue, are really high. We've been listening to retailers saying, well, how can I make any money if I can only have three people in my shop? Restauranteurs are wondering, you know, if my number of seats is down to a third of the usual, how can I even pay my rent, never mind paying my staff? There's, there's a lot of businesses work on very small margins because they pay very high rents. All those rents are going to have to come down as businesses are going to close. Public transport, we, we have lovely new single-decker uh, single buses. I live out in Skerries, and uh, Dublin Bus have brought these in, in the last few months, part of Bus Connect. So they're really nice. And they all of a sudden sign inside saying only 10 passengers. How are people going to get into work? So there's a lot of challenges that we face that we can deal with more, much more effectively if we try to do what, say, New Zealand has done. And we're not going to bring, we're not going to stop cases. There will, there will be further cases. Someone will come in from abroad carrying infection, but we deal with it. Pub- public health deals with outbreaks of infection every day of the week. And what is the best and, way to mitigate that, though? Is it enforcing more stringent restrictions on border control or what way do you envision i suppose new zealand doing this now knowing that they have reached that marker what they're doing at the moment is they have strict quarantine where they're probably going to go and where i think we can go is testing in the airports so i i can easily see a situation where you go to the airport you get tested if your test is negative you get in your flight you arrive at the other end. There, there's a there's a very detailed analysis which hasn't been done, which is when should you do a second test? Because pretty much everyone agrees that one test is not enough. Hmm. The, the, just because of the nature of the tests and the, the risk of this disease being relatively low, having it being relatively low. So maybe you do a second test on arrival. Maybe you, you get a second test done the following day. If both your tests are negative, off you go. If, you're te- if one of your tests is positive, you're looked after you know, appropriately because you are infected. But if you do that, you can keep transmission down very substantially. You can't stop it. But if there is a case, we, we've seen, for example, in South Korea, there was an outbreak in a nightclub which led to 200-odd cases. But th- that outbreak has now died out mm. because they, they did good public health, fast testing, fast contact tracing. We're getting better. Te- tra- testing is down to a day, or just over a day, which is nearly fast enough. Contact tracing is still a little bit slow. But as we get fewer cases, contact tracing becomes much more feasible. So if we keep up the testing and tracing, keep up the mask, have a, a reasonable restriction on people coming into the country. Do it north and south, which I suppose is its own suite of challenges. It would be much easier to do this on an all-island basis. Mm. We could actually bring this down to zero. and We could be as New, as New Zealand is, with restaurants opening up, shops opening up, cinemas opening up, pubs opening up. A quarter of a million people in Ireland work in tourism yeah. and hospitals in its various branches. If we have no circulating virus, that's a huge attraction mm. to foreign tourists. Come to Ireland, beautiful country, nice people, astonishing scenery, no coronavirus. 
and it's a lot easier to get to Ireland than New Zealand. Greece is opening their tourist industry because they've managed to bring the number of infections down to a level their public health system can cope with. And we need to do the same and we need to keep it there. Dr Richard Stutt is a Cambridge University postdoctoral research associate, part of a team that usually models the spread of crop diseases at Cambridge's Department of Plant Sciences. His latest research, which was published this week, looks at the effectiveness of face masks in the community and I began by asking him why he feels there has not been universal uptake of covering so far during this pandemic. From individual perspectives, there have actually been quite a lot of responses to the article with people saying that they don't themselves want to wear face masks because they're uncomfortable. You have one person saying that uh, they scared children, so they didn't want anyone to be wearing them. So at the individual level, there there are concerns about comfort. Um, Some people think they may not be effective. One of the key things from our work was that looking at how how effective would a face mask have to be in order to still be worth wearing it. Because face masks don't have to offer perfect protection in order to still be worthwhile. And so part of our analysis was examining for a range of levels of effectiveness of the face masks, how bad would they have to be to not be worth wearing to outweigh the potential benefits. From your research, it's clear that the benefits absolutely do outweigh the negatives. Would you be able to speak me through some of the findings? Yeah, sure. So we were looking at this from the perspective of how much of the kind of exhaled droplets are masks likely to capture and then the knock-on effects in terms of how many fewer people would then get infected as a result of that and on the kind of causing the infection side of people infectious people causing uh, more infections and then on the other side um, how well would masks protect you against inhaling droplets or against picking up the infection from contaminated surfaces. So the likely consensus is that face masks, even crude ones, are going to be quite effective at at capturing um, exhaled droplets, but there's less certainty over how well the face masks are going to capture droplets in the air that you inhale, especially for the uh, homemade varieties. And then masks are also, they're not thought to be particularly effective at all against uh, contaminated surfaces, with some people even saying that they might make you more susceptible to the to contaminated surfaces if you're touching your face more often as a result of adjusting your mask or taking it on and off. So we were looking at, for what we think probably represents a relatively crude face mask, um, how much of the viral droplets is that going to trap when you're uh, exhaling? And we, we took a probably quite conservative value of, of stopping about 50% of the droplets exhaled. There's some studies which indicate that perhaps up to to 90% of droplets could be captured by a thick cotton mask. So we we think it's relatively conservative there. And catching the droplets at source will also have the knock-on effect that hopefully there's less contaminated surfaces in the environment uh, for people to encounter as well. So we were finding that you'd have to have a, a very significant sort of doubling or quadrupling of your susceptibility to the contaminated surfaces to outweigh the potential benefits from just the general reduction in uh, droplets being exhaled by mask wearers. If something is homemade, do you have to be more careful on how that's applied to your face? What do we know about this? So unfortunately, there isn't very much evidence um, that tells us exactly how effective masks are. Um, Either uh, just kind of physically um, looking at the properties of the masks or generally when deployed in the population because 
uh, doing those, well, actually getting really good direct experimental evidence there would probably require you to expose some volunteers to the disease, which is severe ethical concerns there about doing that to actually get quantitative data on that. Um, so we, we have to infer from what data we can to see how, how effective the masks might be. Uh, I would say one thing is that we, we shouldn't be complacent about how effective masks are because we, we can't just slap on any kind of mask and then just assume that that's going to be perfectly effective. People have to, to wear them well, uh, make sure it's covering the mouth and nose and try and avoid fiddling with it too much and, and get a mask that fits well in, in order for it to be actually be effective. In an ideal scenario, if there was 100% buy-in from the public or if it was signed into law and became mandatory, what can you envision the impact would have on the ore value of the population? So we see masks as kind of one tool in a toolkit for controlling coronavirus. So we wouldn't want uh, people to run on just one thing. Um, so I think if we if, if we combine uh, broad adoption of masks with a bit of social distancing, uh, then that should be more effective than either of those in isolation. So the combination of, of various different strategies uh, should hopefully reduce the spread rate uh, enough that uh, other uh, interventions such as uh, track and trace become more feasible um, and hopefully then you've got more tools brought in to be able to control the outbreak. The hope is that a combination of strategies would be able to delay the progression of the epidemic for long enough that we can get a vaccine deployed. That was episode 32 of Viral COVID-19. I would like to thank both Anthony Staines and Richard Stutt for joining me on the podcast today. I will be back next week with more news and information on COVID-19 here in Ireland. I'm Ian Doyle. I'll talk to you then. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.